Welcome to Psychocinematic, the podcast where we analyse depictions of mental illness and disability in popular film and TV. Before we start, this podcast is not designed to be therapeutic, prescriptive or constitute a formal diagnosis for any listener. For a longer version of this disclaimer, please check the episode notes on your podcast app. Welcome back to part two of our Ari Aster... Ariasta Palooza. <laughs> Ariasta Palooza. We did a deep dive into Hereditary, which means now it is time to do a deep dive into Midsummer. Yeah. Which was released in 2020? No, 2019. 2019. Wow, he, he knocked turned... out two very complex films that were very intricately made. They would have been hard to make. He probably worked on them both simultaneously, I guess. They would have cost millions of dollars. <laughs> well, he filmed Midsummer over like two months. So it was very quick because mm. um, they had to go to Hungary. Before we, before we get into it, though, any updates on what we're what we're up to at the moment? What are we? What are we? Nothing has nothing has changed. We watched um we watched Holy Motors last night. Oh yeah. Yeah. Are you ready to discuss? No. <laughs> I still haven't quite figured out what the, what the fuck was going on. Yeah, but it was an interesting watch. Yeah, the acting was good. Kylie Minogue was in it. What's that face? She's pulling a face. Could, it didn't have to be Kylie Minogue. <laughs> I thought she did really well. Yeah, she did. She was, she was good. Yeah. Uh, and we watched that one in preparation for that Annette movie coming out. Coming yeah. Out, which looks very which took interesting. Ken by Storm. Did it? Mm. Mm. Well, I don't know. <laughs> looks interesting anyway and it's about like a couple having a child so it's basically about us <laughs> um yeah well i have often been told i have an adam driver quality i look me. exactly like marion cotillard yeah exactly just i started dr death and i get really anxious watching medical stuff and it's particularly anxiety provoking because he spoiler alert botches up spinal surgeries mm. <laughs> so <laughs> i was like ah! have you ever considered spinal surgery for your raging scoliosis i saw that very rapid posture change the minute <laughs> <laughs> i could have surgery but it's huge surgery yeah uh and it was floated when like i wore a back brace for like two and a half years i think it was to prevent it getting worse there was the option when I was in high school to have surgery and I just decided it was a lot for like I did, my quality of life wasn't really that bad so if my curvature was worse I probably would have got it but mm. it probably wouldn't have added much more to my life yeah unless I wanted to become a sports person a sport a sport <laughs> but um, I didn't yeah imagine if Dr. Death did your surgery well if I had You'd have a punctured esophagus or something? <laughs> oh, no, he, like, severs, like, major arteries and shit. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I probably wouldn't have been able to watch Dr. Death if I had spinal surgery. So, trigger warning for anyone out there. <laughs> Don't watch Dr. Death. It looks... it It's horrendous watching him do stuff yeah. on screen. But I did listen to the podcast, which is, like, less horrendous to watch because it's a podcast yeah maybe listen to the podcast instead they don't have any like surgical sounds or anything i don't think so not from memory that's good that's a that's a wise but, choice yeah i don't think it would have been as renowned if they did <laughs> i agree so midsummer it is also a horror film but in a very different way to hereditary 
It's a folk horror film. A folk horror film, yeah, which we've got a few of, which is why we watched The Wicker Man, because it is like the original folk horror the film. The uh, text of folk horror. When looking up stuff on this film, Ari never specifically references Wicker Man, but I mean, there are so many parallels. He really, he really he does. He really should. <laughs> he really should just credit where credit's due. Yeah. But let's get into the plot. Yeah, let's. Off Midsummer. Okay. So after Danny, played by Florence Pugh, loses her parents and sister in a horrific murder-suicide, she finds herself on a trip to Sweden with her less-than-committed boyfriend, Christian, played by Jack Raynor. Well done. And a pack of his bro-y mates. They're tagging along with Josh, played by William Jackson Harper, who's studying the midsummer festivities of the Haga, uh, the commune that their Swedish friend Pelle... Wilhelm Blomgren hails from. They enjoy the Hagas feasts, folklore, and psychedelics. And just for some exposition, um, we learn that the Haga are required to undertake a pilgrimage as young adults overseas um, in order to bring outsiders into the commune to diversify the gene pool. We learn there's a May Queen chosen each midsummer, but we don't really learn much more than that. Uh, and also they have a sacred runic text. It's forbidden for outsiders to read it. And it's constantly evolving thanks to additions by a deliberately inbred child mm-hmm. who has a facial... Dysmorphia. Yeah. Things are going well until one of the main events of the Midsummer Festival, which in short involves two older members of the commune throwing themselves off a cliff and dying violently. It's awful. It's pretty intense. Everybody freaks out in the group, but they decide to stay on because cultural relativism? Uh, I think that's the only explanation I would have. They decide to stay on because otherwise the rest of the movie wouldn't happen. Exactly. Big mistake, because the whole group gets picked off one by one by the commune in short order, except for Danny and Christian, who are spared so they can participate in more gruesome rituals. I would say, though, that everyone participates in the rituals, but they're just alive for longer. Yes, that's it. Yeah, that makes sense. So these rituals are uh, a maypole dance-off, which Danny wins, earning herself the title of May Queen. Um, Also, Christian gets to impregnate one of the commune... Gets to? I don't think he wanted to. (laughs) Yeah, true. (laughs) Lucky boy. (laughs) Well, he does. And then he gets stuffed into a bear corpse... Um, and burnt alive with all of his dead friends and some other human sacrifices, living and dead. Including one of the Haga as well. Yeah, the ha- two, two of the Haga. Two of the Haga. And some other corpses. It's all a bit of a mess at the rich end. Tra- rich, rich tapestry. Yeah. Literally. In the final moments, while the Haga scream along with the burning sacrifices, Danny crawls away wreathed in flowers, and we watch as the face of horror she's worn for most of the film melts away into a hopeful smile. And I love that smile. Do you? I really love that smile at the end. She just looks like someone you could be a best friend with, you know? <laughs> um, I've been having an ongoing debate with a friend from uni and, and other people about whether Midsummer is a girl power film. I would, I would dis- dispute that because I feel like the cult itself isn't really a girl power cult. No. So it has some girl powery aspects. It's slightly feministy. Slightly. But we'll um, get into that. 
Yeah, jokes on my friend. She doesn't have a podcast to um, broadcast her opinions. Maybe we so should get it on the We have the podcast. final word. I have a little summary of each of the like the characters in the group, and they're 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 almost little stereotypes within themselves. Mm. Um, and it, it also makes sense, like in who the cult are trying to attract, mm. like Josh, played by Chidi, um, from. The Good Place. He's like the academic who analyzes everything like without actually taking it in. He's kind of the spectator and he just is sort of exploiting the Haga for his own needs, oh, for his thesis. But he's trying, he's not, he's trying not to um, change any of it, but he goes in and takes photos of the book, which he shouldn't have. Yeah, well, that got him bonked on the head and that's fair enough. He's also of colour, which I think, or get into later, but like he's one of the first people who dies, which I think is a problem. Anyway. Mark, played by Will Poulter, who's like the immature idiot. He just um, is kind of the rude American in cultures. (laughs) Like Mm. he doesn't really, isn't respectful of the culture. And like, you know, he goes and takes a nap and he misses watching people die. Like he just is detached from it all. And then there's Christian, who's like the arrogant narcissist, who just wants to steal like take the least resistive path to everything. Like he steals Josh's idea for his thesis. Um, he has no sort of sense of family or connectiveness. He's just there for his own self-interest. And then there's Danny, who's the unattached, lost, and is sort of in need of someone to take care of her. And she's the beautiful new May Queen. Mm. So it's kind of like they're all very different. That's all. <laughs> they are all very different. Yeah. Um I guess part of the movie is talking about cultural relativism and whether as a someone from a different culture, whether you can go into that different culture and judge them for their rituals and mm. and whatever. Um, is it okay for the Haga to let their older people voluntarily jump off a cliff to die? It's a big moral question. It is a big moral question. Is this a, is this a philosophical podcast or a psychological podcast, well, Michael? Well, <laughs> I mean, you can't. But it's just interesting that Josh is sort of, on one hand, like he he's just an independent observer and he's just objectively gathering data. Mm. Um, whereas Mark is in some ways like... To, well, to me as an Australian, almost the epitome of American culture. Yeah. And that's pretty repulsive to me. Yeah. Um, but then, this film has layers. It has layers. But then Danny like, doesn't like the culture, but she she she's not really... Nothing is at, of her own will, really, at all. So she kind of... It's not like she's respectful or not respectful. She's yeah. just there. And she kind of, out of all of them, she's the one who embraces it the most. In the end, yeah. And also I think she gets a lot of benefit from their sort of, like the Haga do this, they scream when other people are in pain sort mm, of thing, which I think... What she was missing in her life. Yeah, some mm. some empathy. Yeah. And yeah, I think she benefits from that. Yes, let's move on. Shall we talk about lived experience? Yes. So I did a little bit of research on this. Yeah. Well, I just remember from when it came out, Florence Pugh did an interview. I have no idea where... And she was saying that it was hard for her because she had no experience of grief. Mm. Yeah, I read the same or similar article and she basically had to imagine her entire family dead in order to bring up the emotions that she needed for the film. Mm. So she didn't really have a lot to reflect on. 
Um, and that's really all I could find mm. regarding Florence. Yeah. Um, but going back to Ari, who created this this thing, um, <laughs> just like in Hereditary, it was very hard to find anything that he specifically related back to. So he, he often in his articles says he wanted to make a breakup movie, uh, which is kind of not how I immediately saw this movie, but it's definitely a breakup movie. <laughs> um, and he like obviously has been through a breakup, um, but he hasn't ri- he hasn't really explained what he's actually gone through himself. Um, and he, he spoke about in the Atlantic how he finds writing comes easiest when he's in a crisis. And he's saying like, you want to write a breakup movie when you're in a breakup. And every time he wanted to write one, he'd think, I want to write about it, but I'm not inspired. I just want to die. <laughs> um, but then he ma- managed to write one. So he's definitely had that experience. <laughs> and just just on, on an aside, in The Guardian, he wrote about when he was shooting Midsummer, which they shot in Budapest. Um, he was so paranoid about ticks that he wore green knee socks and a netted safari hat because <laughs> <laughs> he's afraid of Lyme disease. Um, that would have been very cute to see. So he's obviously got anxiety. <laughs> Definitely an anxious, anxious boy. Yeah, yeah. But that's all I could find. Okay. Really? Well, Unless someone's stumbled upon something I haven't found. Hmm. Um, but caught, like looking at the other actors, there's a little bit more. Um, William Jackson Harper, who plays Josh, said that he's a very anxious person. And he related like when he was in The Good Place playing Chidi. He's very indecisive. He related to him very much. Um, but he did say he's never been diagnosed with anything, but he's just very anxious. And the actor who played Christian, Jack Rayner, um, looks like he had a bit of an Alex Wolf experience, <laughs> uh, the son from Hereditary, and may have experienced some PTSD from being in Midsummer. Um, and he explained that shooting the film in such a short period, which is a little over two months, took a toll on everyone. He said, we realized very quickly that this was an exercise in practicing good mental health. So he needed to keep on top of his health throughout the shoot. And when the free time ran out while being on set, the actors kind of felt the same dread that the viewers feel. So again, just like in Hereditary, Ari really likes to put his characters through the ringer. Um, And then apparently when they started doing press... He said, I was fucking rattled. I did one interview and I was shaking. So he was like re-traumatized from the experience when doing <laughs> press. So okay. I hope Ari is going to pay their psychology bills. <laughs> and just lastly, Will Poulter, who plays Mark, um, has in his Wikipedia page says that he has dyslexia and developmental coordination disorder, which is not related to anything in the film, but it is a learning di- learning disorder. Um mm. Developmental coordination disorder is also called dyspraxia. And that affected him when he was at school. So not neurotypical. There's also a well-documented Twitter post that he made after he was in the Black Mirror Bandersnatch movie. Apparently he got really bullied online for his appearance. Yeah, I googled what he looked like. He just looks like any Gen Z. He's got amazing eyebrows. (laughs) So... Um... It's, it blows my mind that he got bullied for his appearance, but he needed to take a mental health break from Twitter mm. over that. So none um, of this is quite reaching the same heights as what we see in Midsummer. No, they're not related at all. But <laughs> they could all obviously draw on something while yeah. being in this film. But I mean, like the character of Mark or Josh 
we're not really watching their mental health journey yeah, in this, this is film. True. This is true. All right. Well, Len, uh, let's talk about accuracy. There's a lot of themes in this movie and a, a lot of potential disorders. Yeah. Or experiences in this movie. I mean, the big ones that I would want to talk about would be grief and PTSD, just Mm -hmm. because they follow in nicely from hereditary. Yes, incredibly so. Um, Well, let's start with grief, because it's it's a movie that starts with grief. Yes. I just think it's interesting that that Danny kind of deals with grief in the same sort of way Mm. as Annie in hereditary. It's a very visceral uninhibited sort of yeah. um performance of that sort of raw hurt yeah and just... both movies have scenes of people grieving as if they're in labor yeah yeah um um and then the beginning of midsummer she's going through that processing and just like in hereditary christian like the passive partner who's just there yeah trying to hold but not really experiencing it himself although He obviously didn't really know Danny's parents. Yeah. But, yeah, I think it's, um, yeah, grief in the context of dysfunctional relationships Mm. is is definitely Ari's shtick. Yes. But Christian's a little bit more malevolent than... Christian's a cunt. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. He's no good. And, yeah, I think, like we were talking about with Hereditary and the fact that grief sort of comes in waves... We see, or you know, it's not something. It's not something that's finite. It it, it just morphs. Um, like we see Danny looking like she's okay. She goes to a party and she tries to look like she's coping, but then someone will remind her of something or talk about or ask her about what happened, and it'll just bring it up for her, and she can't cope. Um, and I think that was really portrayed pretty well. And like you know, like little things like she doesn't want to be alone. She's trying to have a normal life, but she can't really. She takes time off university. There's dreams and flashbacks to what happened. Um, You can see she's kind of having to cope with daily life, but trying to process this huge thing that's occurred. And it's really not until she's with the Haga that she really gets to have that release. Like apart from that scene in the beginning when it's just happened, She's really trying to keep it all together pretty much the whole time because she doesn't want to be seen as hysterical or upset anybody. Um, And Christian really doesn't give her the space to process it. And then that scene where they're all crying with her is like she's allowed to just feel everything she's felt finally. Mm. And I think when you talk about dreams and flashbacks, again, like in Hereditary, we're probably looking at a grief slash PTSD. Mm plus or minus panic attacks yes. type situation. And just just from a DSM point of view, she would absolutely meet the criteria for PTSD mm-hmm. after hearing about the violent, I guess, deaths of her whole family. Yeah. And then being presented with triggers for that with the Haga. Yeah, yeah. Like seeing people kill themselves yes. off a cliff. Yes, yes. We see early on in the movie that she's prescribed... Adivan, which mm-hmm. is a benzo. That was before she found out her parents had died, though. Oh, right. Yeah. Oh, so my think... whole train of thought is, is gone now. <laughs> Are then. you going to say that that's not what you would prescribe someone with PTSD? Well, they're, like, contraindicated in PTSD. Okay. They give the worse outcomes. Oh, really? Wow. Mm. Mm. Um, benzos are prescribed for anxiety no matter what's going on, though. Mm. But they say that it stops people from accepting the trauma. Because oh, it kind it of it. dulls you yeah. and interferes with your sleep and cognition and stuff. But I guess it 
if she's just wanting to get through the day. That's what they would give her. Yeah, and it would be wrong. Anyway, yeah, so we see her take it before everything happens. So she's obviously got a pre, pre-existing history of anxiety. Yeah. And I think that's quite clear in the film too, because everything kind of happens very quickly. But during, there's many times in the film where you can see that she's starting to have that panic attack start and she's doing the breathing and she's like trying to, to get through it. And she, she shows lots of little behaviors that I've definitely done when I've been staving off a panic attack where like, she's like tenses up and shakes her hands, like tries to, to ground herself. So it looks like a practice thing where she, she's using strategies to try and calm herself down. Mm. Um, given everything that's happened to her, she's done pretty well. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Like, how is she not just in constant panic throughout the film? Hmm. Which she probably is. And I think it's a really good little metaphor when they get to Sweden and you can see they take the mushrooms. What are they? LSD? Some sort of thing. Some sort of thing. I can't remember. They go on a trip and, you know, it's a beautiful scene where they are. Everything's gorgeous. And the music is really quite intense and sinister and foreboding. And that little scene is kind of what it's like to have anxiety like it's a normal beautiful day but it just feels like something bad is going to happen no matter what the reality is they call that shark music in the circle of security training that i did do they (laughs) They do shark music they used to anyway they don't anymore but yeah it's just a a nice way of picturing what it's like to have have that really constant anxiety on the note of ptsd when she's having that trip She seems to be coping okay until someone uses the word family Mm. and then it brings her out of her sort of nice time and then she starts to spin out. So it's almost like even the word family is a PTSD trigger for her. Yeah. Which is pretty accurate, I would say. Yeah, totally. Mm -hmm. No, I think all that stuff is pretty ac. 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 Ac attack. I want to talk about the depiction of a very emotionally abusive relationship. It's pretty skin crawling. Yeah, from the this. very beginning. Like yeah. in the first scene where she's get got that message from her sister and she calls him and it's clear from like the beginning of the phone call that the relationship is not in a good place. Even though she's getting these really stressful texts, she's saying, hey, how's it going? Like she's trying to hide her emotions. Mm. Um, and he's just like, yeah, I might swing by. Like he's being so passive aggressive to her on the phone. Yeah. And then you see that he's with his friends and they're all like, dude, just break up with her. Find someone that you is not always leaning on you or find a girl that's actually like sex. And I just want to say newsflash, it's probably not that she doesn't like sex. It's probably that he's bad at sex. Take that. Take that, Christian. Christian. <laughs> And there's and then there's that scene where they come back from the party and she finds out that he was going on this trip and hadn't told her. And it just <laughs> It's so disgusting to watch just both of their positions slowly melting away to the point that he invites her to Sweden when he really doesn't want her to come. And she starts off angry with him for a very good reason and then flips very quickly to apologizing and feeling gaslit and being like, I'm sorry, I overreacted. I got crazy. I didn't mean to project like just with very few words, the, the mood shifts from her feeling justifiably angry and then turning to being like, Oh no, no, my feelings are invalid. Yeah. (laughs) It's just, 
it's 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 a pretty good scene in how that sort of thing happens in relationships all the time. Yeah, and he's just this totally gutless, spineless dude who wants to break up with her but just can't do it. He can't because he doesn't respect her. Yeah. I think, like, he's one of those people, and we have met I some know. of those people who have just ha- want to take the easy way out to the point where they are hurting the people around them yeah. and making them feel like shit about themselves, which she clearly does. And she just wants to be loved. She just wants him to love her and look after her because she needs that and anyone needs that in a relationship. And he just doesn't want to do that. But because he won't break up with her, they're just stuck. Mm. And instead of just doing the right thing, he just keeps really fucking her up yeah. <laughs> with the way he treats her. Yeah. He's a bit of a narcissist, I want to say. I think he thinks he's as good as Josh. They're both doing the same program at uni. They both have a thesis to submit, and Josh has this very clear plan that he's going to do it on the Haga. And then Christian comes in sort of halfway through the film and is like, I'm going to do my thesis on the Haga too. And it's just bullshit. It's just bullshit. It just boils your blood. And the way he treats Danny is constantly like he thinks he's better than her. Mm. And he thinks he's on par with Josh. Um, not really sure why they're friends with the other dude. Um, maybe to make them look good. I'm not sure. But he's not. Like he's got this real sense, this grandiose sense of superiority. And he's actually just a dick. Mm. He's pretty average. <laughs> Pretty average. And on that note too, the whole group, which I think is deliberate, they're so quite negative and smug around Danny. Like, we just tolerate you. And it becomes very her against them, um, even though she's supposed to be kind of part of their group, which really leads to how the, the movie is about that sense of family and that she doesn't have a family. She's lost her family. They are not her family, like the group of friends. She doesn't feel connected or supported by them. She's She needs a new family, which become the Haga. The Haga. The Haga. Welcome her with open arms. Well done. How accurate is that trip? I've never been on whatever that was. Have you? Oh, the drug trip. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I guess it's all kind of a mixed bag. But it's like subtle. The, the way it's depicted is subtle. It's not like in the... The Brady Bunch movie. Yeah, or like all those movies when somebody gives you a drug and they're like, how do you feel? Are you feeling it? <laughs> Guess I'll see you guys later. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's like, you know, they're all like communing with nature while they're high and that's and like one of them's really paranoid about the sun still being up even though it's like 9 p.m. or something. Yeah. And just that subtle the grass kind of coming through her shoe. Mm. It's like a a plausible hallucination from taking a psychedelic drug and B a nice little metaphor about how she's going to mm. kind of lose herself to that environment. Yes, and become one with the nature of the Haga. Mm. 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 And throughout, like, towards the end of the film where things get pretty crazy, like, you can, you don't even necessarily notice it straight away, the, like, the flowers in her headpiece opening and closing and blooming. And obviously they are on something, but it's not explicit. And it's just that little touch that's so beautifully done, I think, of how yeah. they're on a trip, but this is real, but this is just a little hint of things are a bit 
unhinged. Yeah, it clues you in. It puts you in their headspace. Yeah. I also read some very academic articles about this movie talking about... It, they talk about thing theory. What's that? It's a theory related to film about what makes an object a thing. When, a, when you know, you've got like a mug, a teacup or something, mm. it's just an object. But if you if it was handed down to you from your grandmother, it becomes a thing. Yeah. If you're holding a mug, it's just an object. But if you drop it and it smashes and you cut yourself, it becomes a thing oh. and whatever. And Midsummer plays with those boundaries because the flowers sort of breathe like humans mm. and the people get stuffed with branches or get buried yes. in the garden like plants like they so become they plants. sort of become objects let's just briefly touch on the accuracy of we don't actually see the character at all but they talk about the sister having bipolar so before we find out what danny's sister has done and danny's just concerned about the messages she's receiving um christian really one of them mentions that she has bipolar i can't remember who and christian's just really like diminishes the seriousness of the messages he's receiving and just says something like oh she does this all the time because you'd let her so he accuses danny of being an enabler of her which not only is very gaslighty from the very beginning but also like because Danny ends up reacting appropriately. And the fact that what happened, it's almost like he's hes blamed her for what happened. Exactly, yeah. Like, she's doing this because you enable mm. her to do it, which is, like, the worst thing you could say, really. However, um, I'm not sure if there's a high likelihood of murder-suicide occurring in bipolar. Have you got statistics of that? <laughs> I don't have statistics on that, but if I've said it once... Say it bloody again. People, People with, with mental, mental illness are more likely to be victims of violence than, than perpetrators. perpetrators. <laughs> oh. No, we never have to do that again. We'll I just cut and paste sick. that into every episode. So there. <laughs> suicide, increased risk of suicide. Yes. Not murder-suicide. Well, maybe. I don't know the statistics, but I assume not murder-suicide. I, I, yeah, so, but accuracy-wise... We don't know enough. We're probably more delving into stereotypes and harmfulness, but, yeah, I don't think we know enough to to say whether it was accurate. The way he talks, the way Christian talks about her makes it sound like she's just, like... She's sending all these messages about how everything is black and she's going and mum and dad are coming with me and Mm. stuff... And Christian talks like that sort of thing is all the time. Yeah. Which, again, we don't have enough to go off. But And this is Christian's weird perspective. Yeah. He's obviously a dick, so he probably <laughs> doesn't know what he's talking about. I mean, it, it, yeah, it just sounds like she's always low. And you would think if she had bipolar in a movie, they would probably mention a manic episode. Yeah, but I think... But it's very brief. And I think it's more accurate that that isn't mentioned... Because not every person with bipolar, because there's two types of bipolar as well, have like major manic episodes that people can reflect on. No, that's true. So it's probably not a bad thing that that isn't brought to our attention. Yeah, but like mania or hypomania Mm. is diagnostic of bipolar. True. So she would have had to have had a manic episode at some point. Mm -hmm. Or hypomanic. 
Okay. Christian's the sort of guy who'd be like, why can't she be manic again? That was fun. <laughs> we bloody went out and she bought she me bought all these all the dreams. Stuff. And, yeah. <laughs> and she bought us plane tickets to Vegas. Mm. Yeah, Christian would not have been a helpful person <laughs> in those situations. So yeah, there's not really much more we can say than that. Yeah, we cannot assess the accuracy. All right, let's start. Let's talk about it. The boy. The boy. The The whole reason why I wanted to do these two movies was because uh, Ariasta has a predilection for using characters with dysmorphic facial features. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yes, the boy. The boy. Ruben, who is... The kid who's kind of responsible for writing this ongoing sacred text of the Hagas. And we see him writing it, and it's really just finger painting. Mm -hmm. And they interpret his finger paintings as meaning... The elders, yeah. Yeah. Are responsible for for, getting the meaning from it. And it's important to note, too, as I just discovered, the actor who plays this boy doesn't have dysmorphic features in real life. No. It's all It's all prostheses. Yeah. So he's like so... directly, the, the boy is a product of um, deliberate inbreeding, yeah. as they said. Yeah. And that's also, it's also alluded to that that happens because they need to bring people into the community rather than everybody having sex with each other to broaden the, the genetics of the family. Yeah. Like one of the Americans asks if they ever, like, you know, is there inbreeding because it's a small community? Mm. Um, and the person explains, no, we get outsiders in for that, but we inbreed for special purposes. Yeah. And Reuben is the product of this deliberate inbreeding. Yeah. So the facial features that he has, well, first of all, I couldn't find a specific disorder or syndrome mm. that would cause those sorts of features. So I would first of all doubt the accuracy of just the existence of Someone who looks like, like that. Ruben. <laughs> um, but that's, that's, I could be wrong there. Um, and then I just looked up what inbreeding can do. And it can cause, um, quote unquote, deformities, but it's generally things like extra digits or mm. fewer digits. The main effect of inbreeding is to increase prevalence of recessive genetic disorders Mm -hmm. which are disorders where you know if if you get one gene from your mum but a different version of that gene from your dad you're not going to have the illness Mm. but if you get two of the same gene from both parents you will have the illness Mm -hmm. does that make sense yeah so because people who are related are more likely to have those you know, disease genes, when they breed, they're more likely to have that. Yeah, Yeah. that makes sense. I hope that makes sense to you, listeners. Look up genetics. (laughs) (laughs) Genetics.exe. Yeah, this is why, like, the royal family has a lot of haemophilia because Mm. of inbreeding. Mm. And that's one of the recessive disorders that were in their family line. Yes. Um, So what I'm trying to say is it's inaccurate. Inbreeding doesn't cause that. And if it did cause something, it would be something already existing that we would know of. Yes. Yeah. Um, I think the point is there's no accuracy with Ruben. He was really just created by Ari for the horror value, clearly. Yeah. Like, let's make one character the product of inbreeding 
and that be a bit weird and creepy and he's also looks really creepy for the the shock value let's talk more about that as a stereotype particularly the fact that Ruben definitely fits that disability trope of like the magic uh, the person with a magic disability the disability makes them mystical or evil which is kind of both and like what what they say in the movie is that he's unclouded by normal cognition he's open to the source so the fact that he's got a different genetic makeup to everybody else means that he is somehow more special um, because his cognition isn't normal which is just a trope yeah i mean it's almost as if the haga are just displaying that kind of uh, stereotype themselves as in people in the real world Mm. sometimes have a tendency to believe that people with disabilities are somehow magic yeah and the haga are just reflecting that yeah definitely so in some ways maybe he's just documenting that phenomenon but he doesn't really make a value judgment on it no he doesn't at all and in fact I'm pretty sure he ends up killing one of the characters, so... um, Yeah, we don't know. We we assume. So we as the viewer are supposed to be scared of him. And and I guess we, because of maybe our preconceived bias that inbreeding leads to people with lower IQs, are they saying that because the viewer assumes, because of preconceived societal beliefs, that people who inbreed have lower IQ for whatever reason, um, which isn't probably accurate as far as I'm aware. Yeah, it would depend on the parent's IQ and I guess any potential disorders, disorders that the kids yeah. So it's not, it's not a direct correlation. Um, so I guess as the viewer, the fact that they interpret him as being on this higher plane, where sort of as the viewer and the tourists that come into the Haga's world are supposed to be like, oh, they're wrong, aren't they? Like, they like, interpret it... Look how dumb they are. Yeah. They're, they're following the teaching of, you know... A, a dummy. <laughs> <laughs> and they're interpreting his, his drawings, like his childish drawings, as if there's got meaning when it's probably there's probably no meaning. Mm. So I think we're supposed to think that's absurd. Yeah. Which is a problem in itself. Well, yeah, one thing, so the the person who played Ruben was just wearing prosthetics, as we said. Does that make it better or worse? I think it makes it worse, but also it's just generally bad. Yeah, because it's like, at least he's not exploiting somebody with a disability in the way that... Um, like the hills have eyes or well uh, no i was thinking of charlie in yeah um, in midsummer uh hereditary Hereditary, (laughs) who ended up not feeling all very good about it good about it um but on the other hand he's kind of making a caricature of 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 sort of a non-specific disability yeah and that's that's real bad that's pretty bad bad. like he probably just didn't need to have Ruben in the movie. Just it could have just been anybody. It could have been anybody, yeah. Like the inbreeding could be in it, but he could just be an yeah, neurotypical like, person. Keep the inbreeding and then just put in a scene where Ruben like is brushing his teeth and his teeth bleed and they and don't the... stop bleeding and he's like, Oh, sorry, I've got hemophilia. End scene. <laughs> it is a really bad trope because it's not only like a magical uh, disability equals magic. 
or superpowers, but it also is disability equals evil and horror, like used as a horror trope. And yeah. Ari, why? Yeah, this, I this like is everything one thing. about you except this. Yeah, yeah. Um, I almost wonder if he chose not to cast an actor and instead to, to put makeup on him as a way of avoiding the criticism of hered- that Hereditary got. Possibly. But uh, totally backfired. So it's also not just... I feel like in the movie, too, it's not just about um, inbreeding as just a thing that happens. It's like eugenics as well. So, But rather than breeding out something, it's like breeding in something. Yeah, I, I assume it comes out of a sort of a keep-the-bloodlines-pure type yeah. thing where they've the, the, the Haga obviously have, you know, some families that are perceived as better than others, so they just get them to inbreed to keep that going. Yeah, and, you know, like he's inbred to have these traits and rather than him just being able to live his life, he's also, like, has to be given all these rituals and watch like a hawk and interpret it and stuff. So it's not just the fact that he's inbred, it's also the fact that he's not allowed to just be himself as well. It's the real tragedy. <laughs> it's the, the real film. tragedy is Reuben. And those eugenic assumptions, according to a very good article in The Guardian, which looks at the history of eugenics-inspired horror, that this sort of assumption, the the bodily form and biological inheritance is vital to the formation of classic horror's visual and narrative conventions. There's a lot of articles about this, just like I was talking about in Hereditary that I don't really understand, and it's one of them. <laughs> I think the the heart of it, and, and we, we probably talked about this in Hereditary, is just that horror is all about the other and that it's scary and that it has to be stopped in mm. some way. Um, and people see people with disabilities as other and scary and they need to be fixed and so eugenics is one answer if you don't want disability then you know prevent it with eugenics Mm. so i think um freaks the movie Mm. is is a a movie that they talk about a lot in this oh yeah in this area is the hills have eyes one as well because aren't they all inbred i don't actually know anything about the hills have okay. eyes oh you know that x-files episode yeah with the inbreeding yeah that's fucked that's basically the hills have eyes isn't it <laughs> i don't know i also haven't seen it so i um I, I read a bit about freaks for this and it kind of bucks the trend a little bit because the the freaks are um Empowered. Like the the protagonists and the heroes, yeah. but then there's a most of them end up they somehow get into a swamp and like attack one of the non freaks mm, and turn them into a freak. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they turn them into like a bird woman. I've seen it. Oh, you have? Yeah. I haven't seen it. I was just oh, reading about it. It sounds it. cooked. It is. Shall we find out what Ari actually thinks? Yeah, hit us. Hit, a, hit, hit us with the Ari facts. Okay, so this is this is Ari's take, word for word. Reuben in Midsummer is a very important character. He's important more as a symbol, as an idea, than he is even as a character. There are politics woven into the film, and Reuben is about as close as we get to that being articulated explicitly what is happening. And then if you also consider Swedish history, it is a very closed society, and what does that really mean? There are things happening in Sweden right now that are echoes of things that happened in the Second World War. 
So I'm sort of loath to expound openly about these things because I'm not making a polemic. But Ruben, he's like the full articulation of whatever the film is saying politically. So what is, what is the film saying politically, Michael? Well, Ari is a coward and he won't actually say what it means. This is like this is classy how he talks him about all his movies. At, yeah. Anytime someone's like, what does this mean? He's like, he I just don't know. talks around what it. What do you think? Yeah. <laughs> I don't really know about Swedish history, yeah, but I'm assuming that what it is is that they they try to keep the Swedish bloodline pure like mm-hmm. the Haga kind of do. And perhaps he's trying to say that when you do that, you breed people like Ruben. And then if they're in your society and you follow their word, then you're going to end up being like the Haga. I'm thinking more broadly. And I'm wondering if he's like equating Ruben to like Donald Trump or something. Well, yeah, it kind of... Because, you know, obviously the Nazis were keen eugenicists. Yeah. And... And... Donald Trump is a bit of a Nazi in yeah. his politics. Mm. Um, so is he saying like all these people blindly following Donald Trump are like people blindly following Ruben when his mysticism isn't really that mystical? Like It's just a product of a disability. Yeah, which is a bad message. Oh, yeah, no, <laughs> I, I find it very hard to take that quote anywhere good. No, there's nowhere good it um, can go. yeah. So I think, like I was sort of saying, I think maybe he made Ruben a, you know, prosthetic person. Um, <laughs> prosthetic to, to make that a safer opinion to put into the film without doing something. I guess he could have done something supernatural and it might have been more acceptable. But then that's just, that wouldn't have worked for the movie. I just don't understand where that fits with the movie too because the movie isn't about... Um, people blindly following leaders. Yeah. No, it's not, because there's not really a leader in the Haga. They all do it together. Yeah, but it's, I guess, about a collective insanity, sort of. Yeah. From my perspective, as an Aussie bloke. But I feel like the themes are like, you know, the catharsis of going through trauma, grief, and a breakup. And um, finding your place in the world, which isn't really the same message as critique of collective insanity yeah Uh, this is something that i've always found a bit annoying about horror films and i don't necessarily think that midsummer is really a horror film i think it's It's sort of a comedy dramedy type thing with horror with, with violence and i think people just come up with an idea for a horror movie that would be scary and visually interesting and then they kind of try and shoehorn meaning into it Mm -mm. and i think Ari has made actually quite an unfocused movie because it's like, is it about grief? Is it about breakups? Is it about Swedish eugenics? You know? (laughs) Um, I think it's an excellent movie. It's about death. But I think it suffers when you try to pull apart what it actually means. Which is what we're doing today. (laughs) Yeah. But on the count of disability in Midsummer, it's no good, people. It's a bad stereotype of the magic evil disability boy, as you've written. He just, I really like him, but he keeps making really bad decisions involving disability. I think you can like his movies on aesthetics alone. I think that's acceptable. I want to just question your assumption that people just want to make horror films that are scary. Because horror 
in itself came from fears of society at the time. Like Frankenstein, I don't know enough about it, but it was kind of written, it was, it's really a fear of technology and taking over and, and the unknown of what that looks like because he creates a monster. And like Dracula, I think was a bit of a, like an interview with the vampire, it's a fear of, of gayness. I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> or sexuality. I don't know. Um, you know, every horror movie, every horror story comes from a society's fear of something. Like The Exorcist was in a very um, religious time and it was it really played to a lot of people's fears of the devil taking over. Like there's, there's in context, there's meaning behind it always. Yeah, I I agree with you totally. Um, but then horror is such a kind of a tacky genre and there are so many That's people... That's your opinion, though. I mean, like, look at The Conjuring and... I haven't even seen it. All those, all the, like, straight-to-DVD horror flicks out there. Yeah, there's there. lots of straight-to-DVD movies of lots of different genres, though. Everything that I've read... I've read a lot of leather-bound books about... <laughs> Rich mahogany. <laughs> about horror <laughs> in the lead-up to this podcast... And everybody is like, horror is not really a genre that people take seriously, theoretically. Yeah. That's what I'm trying to say. Mm. I'm just saying (laughs) that Ari Aster probably thought, wouldn't it be cool if I got Toni Collette to saw her own head off (laughs) before he thought, I want to make a movie about grief. But the movie about grief came first. Yeah, I, I just so, I think it's I think wor- you're wrong. <laughs> I think it's worth questioning. <laughs> it's worth questioning. It definitely is. But I think that um, you know we're sort of in the realm of indie horror. So you know, major horror films are a bit more like explicitly. This is fear of apes taking over the world. Imagine if animals were as smart as humans. Oh crap! And like this is very much like it's sort of mental illness and grief and um, trauma sort of taking over as the horror. So, like, it's a bit like a deeper meaning. Or maybe all horror has a deep meaning. We're probably offending a lot of horror fans out there. (laughs) (laughs) But, like, yeah, so horror films come from genuine societal fears, however um, kind of subconscious they are. But the people who make horror films are like, this would be scary. And if they don't analyse it, they're just making a scary film. Like... Like, Alien is about fear of Space. W- women and mm. motherhood and mm. pregnancy and mm. stuff. But do you, w- is that what Ridley Scott was thinking when he made it? I don't know. We should ask him. <laughs> Get him on the phone. Ridley, answer my calls. <laughs> Ridley. No, it's a big fucking scary alien in the fucking tunnels with acid blood yeah. fucking shit up. But that's what makes an amazing movie when... That shit happens and it fucks shit up, but it also has a layer of meaning. Yeah. That's why people uh, like it. Yeah. Uh, that's why it isn't... <laughs> that's when it's not tacky is when there's that message behind it. The meanings that Ari has attributed to this film are a little bit scattershot, and I don't think thematically it's quite as um, concrete as Hereditary. Mm. Um, I agree and, with that. And definitely. I think if you're trying to put some sort of anti-eugenics message onto your quote-unquote disabled boy in your movie, you just... it's Just just, make another movie or don't make that movie. (laughs) Yeah, and it's a very effective and beautiful and funny, scary film that 
covers a lot of ground without without that message that. Yeah. yeah i agree with you on that it's a bit on the nose other stereotypes just touching back on the bipolar i've like um this article i read who felt it's a pretty negative stereotype like the fact that her diagnosis is briefly mentioned means it's gratuitous it doesn't really need to be that it's insufficient because it tells us almost nothing and then it's excessive as it pretends to tell us everything it's like oh okay she was bipolar right okay yeah like yeah what does that actually mean so like that sort of creates builds on that negative stereotype of severe mental illness yeah i agree that's a really good quote also all the people of color die including um like the first couple to die are, are of color and then it's pretty much Josh after that, or maybe Mark around the same time, and then everyone else is white. Is that also a bit of a eugenics nod, though, from Ari? <laughs> I hope not. It's <laughs> pretty know. fucking rank if it is. <laughs> I mean, I think we've primed people for our verdict on whether it's helpful or harmful. Well, let's start with harmful first then, because obviously... There are two very harmful messages that we've already discussed. Disability bad. Mm. B, mental illness bad. Yeah. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? (laughs) So I found this very interesting quote from The Independent and it says, Films like Astor's feed into the perception of disabled people as abnormal, subhuman and scary. And sadly, people lash out at those which they find scary, even when they've no need to. Even when the scariest person is probably the bloke down the road who works in an office, wears a nice suit and drives a nice car. He's the one who has a disturbing interest in throttling cats. <laughs> Good point. Yeah. Mate. I mean, I don't think we need to say much more than we've already said, but that's just a really harmful trope. Yeah. The the character of Reuben is, is harmful. Yes. I think we've established yeah. that. Uh, mental illness. Another interesting quote, which is from a literature review. From somewhere, uh, looking at Ari Aster and the horror genre, uh, says, again, as we've probably covered in other podcasts, that Ari likes to draw on the idea that mental illness is a curse or a punishment, that having scarier illnesses like schizophrenia, dissociative identity disorder, and psychosis are a burden and something that makes you monstrous. And this carries through in Midsummer from Hereditary, where the main character's sister who has one of the more stigmatized mental illnesses of bipolar, kills herself and her parents. So the function of specifying her illness doesn't really do anything except stigmatize it by graphically portraying that act. Yeah, she she could have just been evil. We didn't need to know we did not need to know that I she guess I guess the 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 sort of text exchanges between Danny and the sister was good for establishing Danny's relationship with Christian. Mm-hmm. But I think there was a billion other ways he could have done that. So, yeah, the sister could have just been evil. I don't like the word evil, though, in Uh, this context, because clearly anyone who does that has mental illness. Anyone who murders themselves and their family has mental illness. Of some description, yes. Or some psychopathology. Like, if if it's... It just sounds like those arguments when there's, like, a mass shooting, when they're like, well, mental, we need to do more about mental illness. Guns don't kill people, people kill people. Yeah, I know what you're trying to say, but that if someone has planned to murder their parents and then themselves, there has to be a reason behind it that's either because of a personality that is not um, neurotypical 
or some sort of mental illness that is not means that person is not of sound mind do you know what I mean like you know the the stories of those those people that um you know they've lost all their money um they don't know what to do they've there's some sort of reason why they feel they have to kill somebody and then they kill themselves to prevent themselves getting in trouble or whatever that's not a rational way of thinking though there's that's not the only solution to a problem so I don't think you could say anyone who does that is of clear just because you behave irrationally doesn't mean that you have a mental illness just oh what i what i'm no no i think you've got making a good point because i think what arias is also saying in this film is like the people i'm I'm just schooling myself now the people in the haga kill themselves and it is seen as a normal expected part of their culture whereas in america (laughs) that's seen as um dysfunctional Whereas once people reach a set, you, you are like, this is, this is the conundrum that maybe Ari's trying to tell us to think about is it looks in one context that looks like it's not someone of a mentally sound mind, but in Nahaga, they just reach a certain age and that's what they do. They kill themselves violently and then people kill them. And that's just part of their culture and that's accepted and it's not seen as dysfunctional. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess, I guess that point would be more, if that was the point that he wanted to make, then I don't think he would have had her kill the parents too. But in her mind, she's saying it's time for them to go, just like in the Haga, it's time for them to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's possible. What I was trying to say is she didn't need to have a mental illness. But I They could have died in an accident. Yeah. Why does it need to be about mental illness, Ari? Why? Well, I, th- I, I like that he wants to make a movie about mental illness, but I think Danny's mental illness was enough, thank you. Not saying that her grief is a mental illness because that's a normal response, but the, the process, that mental process. I think we'd probably still talk about this movie from a mental illness p- perspective Absolutely. if the sister wasn't given a diagnosis. And, yeah, she didn't... Yeah, like all these the, the quotes that you've cited are saying... They didn't need to name bipolar. No. They could have just said she's unwell. Or they, they could have just said nothing. This yeah. is the thing that happened. Yeah. But I, I don't like using the word evil. Like she could have just been evil. Like evil doesn't exist. What? Evil doesn't... Did you watch this movie? That's... Psychop- psychopathy exists. <laughs> is there anything else harmful that we haven't already touched on? I, for one, don't think that we should be linking beautiful... Scandy A-frame tiny houses with horror. <laughs> I think they should be seen for their sublime beauty. You know what, though? What? IKEA, founded by Nazis. Founded by Nazis. Yeah, did you know that? Did you know that? <laughs> Answer me. Did we founded already talk about Founded by fucking Nazis. Did we already talk about that? No, I think you and I spoke about yeah. it privately without a microphone. The helpful stuff is all, like, soft mental health, not, like, diagnoses. Yeah. It's like the coming through grief. It's the mental processes. Yeah. 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 I read a lot on, like, the the bridging of uh, Hereditary and Midsummer and the similarities of characters. You know, there's a lot that Ari wants to talk about with family, particularly, and, like, how they cope um i found this very good um article by politics slash letters.org they talk about how peter and danny are kind of 
connected in that. Peter has to cope with the loss of his entire family by the end of uh, Hereditary, as does Danny. But the tragedy is radically abbreviated uh, in that Aster transposes the final sequence of his first movie in Hereditary onto his second film's first sequence. Well, like, you... in, in Hereditary, the whole film builds up to Peter losing his entire family. Yeah. Whereas in Midsummer, in the first five, ten minutes, she, she loses, loses her, her whole family, family and the rest of the movie is about her processing it. Yeah, so it kind of follows on. Yeah. Yeah. For both Peter and Danny, horror's cathartic final act gives them an out, an arrival through and after diagnosis. This is talking a lot about diagnosis. A transformative state beyond family and social relation as we know it. So it's like they come through that world of the family with all its complexes and disorders and sort of comes out of it. So like Peter comes out of it as payment (laughs) and Danny comes out of it as a haga. Yeah. So like they break through all that horribleness and then they sort of become a new person. Is it kind of saying that, yeah, you have to go through whatever shitty family dynamic you have to achieve your final form as a a king of hell or a may queen yeah and i think like what this article is very focused on is the act of diagnosis and the fact that neither danny as far as we know and peter are throughout all their traumas and horrors that they're experiencing and how they're processing that neither of them are given any sort of diagnosis or treatment instead of getting that they get this huge other thing that happens which is the horror element it sounds um, like kind of an anti-psychiatry sort of view where yes. you know in hereditary there's sort of a litany of diagnoses given out mm-hmm. um but this is to me um, uh, to me this is saying they don't have diagnoses but we everyone would agree that they're going through a really fucked up time yeah let's not put a label on it let's just that's just part of the normal spectrum of human existence yeah and I think what it's what Ari is saying that rather than you know what Danny needs in this movie isn't diagnosis and treatment. She needs a new family who accepts her and is, is gives her what she needs, and that's what she gets in the end of the movie. Yeah. Even if they are murderous and yeah, uh, eugenics. But her last family was murderous too. Ooh. Too soon. And Christian was a monster. And Christian was a monster. Don't get me started on Christian. Um, and this Vox article says it really well. We begin as Danny loses a family and we end as Danny gains one. <laughs> oh, actually, I think this is actually what Ari says in this article. Hmm. And so for better or worse, they are there to provide exactly what she is lacking and exactly what she needs in true fairy tale fashion. And in this article, they compare a lot of Ari's movies to like Disney fairy tales because at the beginning, there's always a tragedy Bambi's mother dies. Uh, oops, spoiler alert. You know, Nemo Little gets Mermaid, lost. she loses her ta- uh, voice. Nemo gets lost. Exactly, that was my first thought when I was reading this article. Nemo! Nemo! <laughs> so, yeah, so like the beginning of Disney movies is always a tragedy and the rest of the movie is them sort of coming through the tragedy and yeah. making new friends and finding a new place in the world. Yeah, cool. Often. Yeah. Um, and this is just like that. And Peter he becomes and gets a new family. He gets to be payment. He gets to be payment. He gets to hang out with all of his 
dis- How's this Charlie? Dis- decapitated family. And... Good, lucky. Actually, boy. just in terms of the links between Hereditary and Midsummer, mm. I-, I just want to raise this as just an example of how strange and weird YouTube is. <laughs> um, somebody's made a side by side cut of the last like four minutes of hereditary and midsummer and they're 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 completely different (laughs) like there's no that quote that you said that they're different but there's There's a lot of chaos in both of them no it's just like you've taken the final scene of the dark knight and the final scene of like i don't know uh singing in the rain and put them side by side it signifies nothing so what they wanted to do, this YouTuber, is just like traumatize themselves doubly. So maybe that, maybe it's, maybe that's the joke. I think maybe they're just thinking that people like me will be like, oh, that'd be cool to see. There's probably all these cool links. And well, there's a YouTube video for everything. <laughs> there's no link. <laughs> but a lot of shit happens in the last moments of both. Yeah, of but films. visually they don't merit a side by side cut. You know what? You haven't put your film hat on for a while. I want to watch it and see for myself. Okay, go ahead. I do want to say that I love how this movie depicts what it's like in a very overblown way to be able to hold someone's space for grief and allow them to experience the emotion they're feeling without judging, without shying away from it or trying to to interpret it in a certain way just letting that person feel it and feel it with them the scene where danny has that outpouring of of emotion and it sounds like she's in labor and all the hargo around her are just crying with her it's intense and it's it's not what happens in life but you know there are cultures where like in italy when someone dies everyone wails they just the whole community wails together at the end of the movie when the fire lights up the the temple they're all wailing as well like they're all experiencing the grief Mm. and obviously it's a little overblown for the sake of film but it's a good depiction of what danny needed was to have her feelings validated and to allow herself to experience that grief not have to hide it to avoid upsetting somebody else or not just try and get on with it, to just let it out and have other people cry with her. Yeah. Which she didn't get until that moment. So that, you know, it's such a, it would have been such a powerful thing and a powerful way to connect to everybody else. And it makes sense. It makes sense to me at the end that she smiles. Yeah. Like I'm with my people now. Yeah. And I think And my shitty boyfriend's dead (laughs) in a most gruesome way. (laughs) Um, the, the Haga definitely have this thing, I think, of they all share each other's emotions. Mm. So you do see that kind of communal screaming a few times. Like when the second man, when the, the second person jumps off the cliff and he doesn't die cleanly, mm. they all start wailing yeah. until he gets bonked. Yeah. Um, and that little breathing thing they do. That... <laughs> I can't do it. You do it really well. <laughs> <laughs> um, I feel like that's probably meant to symbolize that in some way mm. too. Like I put my shit out into the air and, and I breathe, I breathe yours. everybody else's. Yeah. Like it's sort of that circle. Yeah. That connection. Yeah. Mm. And yeah, Danny, Danny needed that. And maybe Ari's making a point of like, yeah, this culture's different from ours and they definitely do things that are objectively really fucked up. But 
they're Don't different from join this fucked up bro culture that we've got exactly. in the West. Yeah. And on that note, I think it's a really good depiction of a breakup, which is what Ari wanted. And seeing a dick get his comeuppance in the most gratuitous way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And and Danny gets to do that. Yeah. Like he dies by her, her hand. Yeah. yeah. And she picks him, right? She gets to choose. Nine people are meant to be sacrificed and mm. she gets to pick the ninth. And it's between Christian and somebody else, I can't remember. Mm. Just a random hugger, I think. I forgot about that, yeah. And she, she picks Christian and you're like, yes! And we really, as a feminist, we're in film. Females are constantly portrayed in movies in such negative, stereotypical vapid ways we you know movies don't often pass the Bechdel test it's really refreshing to see a man get what he deserves (laughs) over and above (laughs) most movies yeah we need more of them yeah and it was made by a man good on you make it that what you will (laughs) I've got a little quote from Ari about that so he, he often says, like, oh, hopefully this is what you think. He says, hopefully you go in thinking that the Haga will be the villains. Then you realize it was Christian all along because we're with Danny. He's the foil. She wants to be close to him. Her dilemma is that she's alone in the world and he's the thing preventing that from being resolved, right, because he's not allowing her in. He's a pretty banal villain. Um, his friends are almost more sucky than him they're like an extension of him if anything i want people to be able to watch the film from two perspectives but i want his perspective to be harder to access we've all been in either position i'm not abusive um (laughs) we've we've all been in a relationship where we desperately want to be closer to the person and they are less invested than we are and i assume most people have been in a position of wanting out of a relationship not feeling it but not wanting to hurt the other person so you stay longer than you should because you don't want to go through the mess uh so yeah i think Seeing that sort of portrayed on screen is, I found that quite powerful and and sort of accurate in the way they converse. And I just I just love that the way he sort of describes it. Like we we think they're going to go to this place and like Danny's going to be scared of the Haga, but in the end she connects with them. Yeah, no, it's it's a um, it's a breakup that resonates with me. I think. I've definitely been in Christian's position before. You jerk. <laughs> well, just like letting a relationship go on too long because mm. you're scared of hurting somebody. Is it me? Oh. <laughs> Oops. Oops-a-daisy. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> um, no, it's not you. Um, <laughs> Is that convincing at all? <laughs> but, um, yeah, and no, it was just like a really um, realistic, natural sort of um, look at that that kind of doomed relationship. I agree. Is that helpful or harmful? I guess it's helpful to see something real on screen, even (laughs) if it's accompanied by sort of pagan (laughs) ritualized suicide and such. Yeah. I I think it's a bit of a flip of the old stereotype that Christian's basically raped in this movie. He's given the hallucinogenics and sort of led into the ritual where he has sex with, that young girl. He's not given informed consent because he's <laughs> under the influence. Yeah. Um, and he's sort of treated like the female in a lot of movies, a lot of horror movies where they are led into the lair and had sex with. Yeah, true. 
sorry, sort of a, a quote in Forbes.com, which I accidentally subscribed to, so now I get notifications from all the time, <laughs> um, says that um, Ari said, I think that Christian's presentation in a sexual way have been generally reserved for females. I have an opportunity to put myself in this person's shoes as they feel this exposure and vulnerability and this awful fear. And I really like that rather than that being a woman, which is always the case, it's a man and also a man we hate. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> However, the men make the women dance in the maypole scene, which is a little bit sexist. Yeah, well, it's it's noteworthy. It seems like their culture is reasonably... Um, Equal? Yeah, mm. because yeah. I think the main leader of the Haga that you see who kind of explains things at the beginning and end is a woman. There's also a man though that's There is a man a who seems like a leader too. But they don't one doesn't seem like higher than the other. Yeah. But they are hetero. Very hetero. It was very different seeing mothers being positive about their daughters having sex for the first time and like like stroking her while she's having sex with her. <laughs> um, but isn't yeah, I just that? love I just love the pr- pressing on his bum. Yeah. <laughs> but imagine that, like, it's a woman's first time, and rather than it being a shameful time, which it often is for most women, it's, like, celebrated, and you've got a chorus of women around you egging you on, like, go yeah. for it, lady. <laughs> like, yeah. how amazing. <laughs> imagine that. Yeah, I mean, it sounds also quite horrible. Horrific, <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't want that. <laughs> But it would be nice to have a midway point. Yeah. (laughs) Your auntie. What about her? Not your mum, your auntie would be there. That's your halfway point. Uh, Just one last potentially helpful thing about the Haga is like the way they see death. Um, And you're very interested in like the end of life stuff. Mm. Um, You know, as a society, we fear death hugely and we avoid it at all costs. But in the Haga, you have a, a life that ends at a certain point and then we all, you all accept that you die. And um, I think Pele was saying to the group, you give life as a gesture. It, it's a great joy to participate in killing yourself. It's, it's like a, a better thing than dying in pain and getting old. So it's just a different way of looking at it and it's not necessarily a bad way of looking at it. It's just the way they do it, and it's obviously not accepted by the group, but it's just a, a less fear-driven way of looking at it. Yeah, it's nice. The fact I that mean, everyone sees them die is probably not nice, but... Well, I mean, I guess it's just a more... a less sort of sugar-coated idea of death than we have in the West, mm. which, you know, death is pretty taboo for us and we're uncomfortable with it, so there's probably some value in the way that they approach it. Mind you... Plenty of people die before they're 72, which is mm. sort of the cutoff age for them. But it sounds um, like everyone lives the same way, which yeah. is a very healthy way of living. Yeah. People should die when they want to die on their own terms. And if you reach 72 and you didn't want to die, you shouldn't have to. That's true. But um, you probably have to leave the Haga. Yeah. Mm. And I guess... It's okay if you want. Yeah, but a really strict culture like that, that's no good. And I guess the purpose of the Haga's way of being is that connectedness and family and you'll do what's good for the group and the family. Mm. Um, it sounds like I'm endorsing a cult because, you know, after just seeing the weaker man, it's like you 
you have to kill someone to make the <laughs> crops grow and it's it feels a little bit along those lines but you know you, you go into this community knowing what your what your path is and you accept it and that keeps the cohesiveness of the group so it's like you know it's you you would i think you would end up dying when they tell you you need to die yeah you wouldn't question it well it's jarring to us because we live in a very individualistic society mm. and they're very communitarian and that's just doesn't gel with the way we see the world yeah which is why we have fucking lockdown protests <laughs> true and i also like that even though this is accepted that those people die and you know the nine people that are sacrificed for the festival the the community still has a very hysterical um, grief reaction over it. So you accept that these things are happening, but you're still allowed to feel sad and distressed over it. Which I think, um, I guess is what we do when we choose a family. We choose someone to live with until they die. So we're also choosing to feel the grief when that person dies. I hate Louis CK, but he has a really funny joke about this. The dad comes home with a new dog for his family and he's like, hey, we're all going to be really sad soon. (laughs) It's true, though. It's true. Every time you get a pet, every time you have a, well... Not have a child. (laughs) But you are, you are, you are... You're inviting grief. Like, you know that you are going to feel grief at the end of that relationship. Even your baby getting sick causes great distress. So... By choosing to have someone in your life, you are choosing to be sad. And I think sometimes that is a hard thing for us to deal with. We have sort of that cognitive dissonance of I'm not allowed to feel sad because I chose this. Mm. But we are allowed to feel sad. And I think that's that's a good part of the Haga is that maybe I should just join them. Join the Haga. You love the Haga. Haga. (laughs) Um, You know, that, that... these things happen and that everyone accepts it and it's fine, but they're also allowed to get affected by it at the same yeah. time. I think Collectively. That, I think there's a ritualised aspect to their grieving, though, which makes me question how legitimate it is. Mm-hmm. Like, is it really processing it or is it just letting yourself go emotionally? But is letting yourself go emotionally not necessarily processing it? No, I mean... Like, if you walked into a room full of people screaming and crying, you could very easily get swept up in it and start crying. Like, if you yeah, walk into a room full of yeah, people true. laughing, you'll start laughing. You won't know what they're laughing no, about. They could be cr- laughing about your face. <laughs> they could have been talking about your dumb face and laughing about it. Thanks, and then you yeah. come in and you're laughing with your dumb face. Okay, stop it. I think you could justify, justifiably question the... Authenticity. Yeah. Okay. You're so defensive of the Haga. <laughs> They're my best friends. They're my new family. I'm leaving here. You know they're going to bury you like a pot plant. They're not going to bury me like a pot plant. You're just going to be your I'm going to walk off a cliff. I'm not going to die. So someone's going to come in and smash my head in with a mallet. That sounds... That's not something I want for you. Do you want to come with me? As long as I die cleanly. Before we get to our final scores, is there any themes you want to touch on? And I feel like there are. Just in, along the same line as some of my final comments about hereditary about Mm. the day night stuff the jump cuts um in midsummer like they call it a daylight horror which Mm. i think is a dumb name the fact that everything scary in this movie happens during the day we still get like tension at night time and we're worried that something scary is going to happen but the only scary things that happen at night are her nightmares Mm, Um, true so which is a very like 
PTSD accurate experience. Yeah, and it's just, it's kind of, what it makes you think. Makes you think. Does it make you wonder, like, the horror that's happening in her head, how, which one is accurate, or is it that that's happening at the daytime? Yeah, like, like what's the more valid and what's the more scary thing, Ooh. like the stuff in your head or the stuff that happens during the day? Good. I don't know. I just think it's mm. something that he was and probably just... going for. He's obviously got a thing with day and night. Yeah, he's really, really into it, eh? He's really into, into it. it. You know what else he's into? Inevitability. Inevitability. <laughs> um, so like in Hereditary, how everything is kind of mapped out and it all just sort of, there's no one is acting of their own free will, basically at the end of it. It's all governed by the coven. The Swedish guy, um, Pele, is really like, she kind of invites herself, but it's like inevitable that she ends up going, like as if she wouldn't be going to Sweden if Christian's going to Sweden. She's just lost her entire family. Um, and Pele's really keen for her to come. And it's like he already preordains her as the May Queen. Like yeah. he, he's picked her out, basically. It's kind. Of, it's a bit like a Wicker Man where he doesn't actively do anything to get her to come along. And in real life, there'd be a very... There'd be a sizable chance that she wouldn't have yeah. come along. Yeah. And he doesn't do anything active. Like he doesn't specifically invite her. He no. just He's just hoping that... He's read the dynamic between yeah. Christian and Danny Wright and knows that she's going to end up coming. Like in The Wicker Man. And it's funny. The, the cop just sort of does his thing and yeah. ends up dead. Yeah, exactly. Like they just kind of bank on him doing what they expect him to do. Yeah, and they're right. And Pele is more like knows Danny better than Christian does because Christian's like, I'll, all right, I'll invite her, but she's not going to come. She's not going to come, guys. She's not going to come. And of course she comes because yeah. he's. A terrible boyfriend. <laughs> um, and, like, she kind of goes along in the the Helsing Lad, is that what it's called? In the village. Mm. She sort of, she doesn't really have much initiative. She just kind of finds herself places. And she finds herself in the May dance. And then she inevitably somehow wins, like, because a couple of others fall over. She does a, who's that guy in the Olympics that won the skating? Because everyone else fell over and he won. Oh, I just, the Australian I dude. Sure. Like, yeah, that happens. And, you know, she she kind of adapts to the role of being May Queen really quickly. So it's like it was kind of made for her. Like, it's it, it doesn't seem like she's intending to do anything, but she, she does just fit this role. Mm. And I wonder if that's a bit of an allegory. Allegory. Yeah, allegory. <laughs> I wonder if that's a bit of an allegory for grief itself. Like, it's not really something you do. To overcome it, it just you just roll with it. You you roll with the waves, and eventually, kind of, you don't really come out of it, but you you take a bit of control over it, which is kind of what happens to Danny in the end. Yeah, I mean, I can definitely see that reading. I think the inevitability in Midsummer is a little bit more ham-fisted than in Hereditary, where you actually get a tapestry. The mm. very first shot oh, yeah. of the film is a tapestry, which. I could have paused and zoomed in and looked at to see what it all means, well, I but I haven't. Yet. I just assume it just tells you what happens in the movie. It and, pretty much does. And yeah. the paintings in the in the dormitory of the girl would, making the love potion. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's like ha- hanging. That's the tapestry. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's there's a lot of inevitability in all of the rituals that happen. I think the I think where Midsummer kind of falls down on that count is that like. It's all presented really obviously, but in ways that you can't actually catch unless you pause it. 
like that well, think that about it it's more t- than five seconds yeah whereas um hereditary like there's a lot of both of the movies have a lot of lore yes that that that's L-O-R-E. pretty yeah that's pretty hard to laying down the law <laughs> with Ari Aster. um you're under arrest <laughs> Um, uh, but Midsummer, I don't know, I, the motives and the mythology of the Haga isn't as immediately obvious as mm. it is with Hereditary. Where it's like, and it's a I don't think cult. It's a bit like the Donnie Darko director's cut where he like put in mm. the actual textbook quotes to kind of explain it. Yeah. It's just a bit like, okay, obviously you don't think people are going to get it, so you need to write it down for them. And I think but that's But I think that's lazy. part of its... That's part of its um, tension, though, because you know before Christian gets the the period blood wine, and that's so with... perfect. Isn't it? <laughs> the, all the glasses lined up. And yeah, and then one's a, a little bit pink. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And the you know the the hair in his his pie, hmm. like you you see that tapestry, and then like I remember in the cinema seeing that, and then seeing you know the the wine and mm. going, oh no, you know. <laughs> yeah. if didn't see that tapestry you wouldn't really know what's yeah, in that's the wine true. and and i guess it the only thing that i remember from that tapestry is the girl putting yeah, menstruation cutting, in a glass yeah. like, so it obviously but she also cuts her yeah and the little bush yeah. off yeah. <laughs> yeah. so <laughs> i don't think it's it's just to like if you didn't get it this is what it is i think that yeah. was for tension's sake yeah yeah i think you're right i just think hereditary is the neater film yeah, from, I, from, from that perspective. I think I, I think we all can agree with that. And again, it ends with what's the song that plays at the end? Oh, um, sun ain't gonna shine anymore. Yeah, which I love. It's a great song. Love that song. Uh, the Walker Brothers. Rest in peace, Scott. And it's just a beautiful like juxtaposition. This horrible thing has just happened, and then <laughs> and it's like about grief because the sun ain't gonna shine anymore. But. It could also be like love. the whole point of the Midsummer Festival is that the sun doesn't go down yes. at that time of year. Yes, and then it. But it's highlighting the fact that eventually they, in winter, it's going to be dark most of the day. The sun ain't going to shine. Gonna shine. I, it makes me question whether Danny's ending is as happy as oh, of course you kind it's of not. think it is. Because <laughs> you never see another May Queen. Just like there's all those Haman. photos of May Queens, but yeah. where are they? Exactly. But I think both ending of the film is like a, a shot of the, you know, the last remaining character. Yeah. <laughs> and then we don't know what happens next, but we know it's probably not good. Yeah. <laughs> Final scores. Final scores. Lived experience. Again, Ari, you just don't want to tell us nothing, do you? <laughs> I, I don't, we can't give them any points. I don't think so. Accuracy. Good grief. Good grief. Good grief. Good PTSD. Yeah. Good bad relationship. It's all pretty good. Bad for the boy. Oh, yeah. Bad, the inbreeding. Maybe, maybe a bit bad for bipolar. Yeah, agreed. So 0. 0.75 of a point. Well, they. I get, it, it evens out to zero points. Yeah. Stereotypes. There's just two really bad stereotypes that kind of ruin it. Ruin but it. I guess there's no other. Yeah. It it was less. I wrote less here than than usually in movies. Mm. But I just don't think it gets a point. And what about the stereotype of the man being bad? Not all men. 
Oh, you know? fuck off. I'm just kidding. I'm fuck sorry. Fuck off. I, yeah, I deserve... I'm sorry. Fuck, fuck me. I hate this thing. <laughs> Get out of this house. Sorry, I'll leave. Good, thank you. Helpful or harmful? It's harmful. It's obviously harmful. But is it more harmful than helpful? Yeah. Why? Because I just think the handling of mental illness and disability outweighs any good. Hmm. Don't you think? Yeah, it's a hard one though, because I still like this movie. <laughs> oh yeah, there's a lot of movies that I really like that when yeah. you look at it through this lens, it it's like, doesn't... oh shit. It, that's just like the girls on the Bechdel cast. Um, we'll talk about their favourite movies and then we'll get zero points there yeah. too. So. Yeah. yeah. Shame. Shame. Sad but true. You know what though, Ari? I still am going to watch your movies. Disappointment Boulevard. Be- and be very disturbed every time. <laughs> yeah, Disappointment Boulevard has started being filmed, I think, last month or this month. Cool. Starring Joaquin Phoenix uh, and also Michael Gandolfini. Oh! Oh! <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for joining us on a voyage into... Ari Aster. Um, we maybe will do some mini bonus episodes on his short films. Yeah. Which are pretty. There's one about um, incestuous rape, and there's one about Munchausen's by proxy. Ah, cool. So definitely light topics. We could do, <laughs> we could do so many episodes on. Uh, let us know if you would be interested in listening to that. Yeah, but, but you'll have now. to pay. Yes, give us Patreon. Give us the Patreon bucks. Casper <laughs> <laughs> needs his milk. <laughs> On that note, too, please review us on your podcast app. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram and sign up to our Patreon. Twitter, TikTok. All right. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye.